All right, welcome. This workshop is on overcoming laziness. If that's what you're looking for, you've come to the right place. If you're the kind of person who can't even find your way up out of your seat to hug a friend you haven't seen for a long time, like my friend Lynn Chardowich, this is the place for you. I love Lynn so much. And I'm not really worth standing up to hug anyway. So my name is Peter Kroll. I am the president of Disciple Makers. I serve in our headquarters in State College. My terrific partner for this workshop is Becky Snyder. She serves in the Susquehanna Valley team at Bloomsburg and Susquehanna. Yes, thank you, Becky. She'll be up in just a moment. And we have you all set up because the workshop on laziness is the only workshop all week that didn't change rooms between the two sessions. <laughs> and we're in the only room today of a workshop that has air conditioning and is lined with couches. Okay? So this is the fitting place for the laziness breakout. In this breakout, we are here to discuss the sin of laziness. We are on page 50. And 51 of your packet, if you haven't found that yet. This sin of laziness is one of those sins that is not only easy to justify, but it's so easy to justify that we can even find ourselves bragging about it from time to time. I know often when I was a student, when I would boast to people about how I about how late I stayed up working on a paper or project the night before it was due, I wore that like a badge of honor. But what I was really doing was broadcasting my failure to work at my responsibilities diligently and in a timely fashion. Laziness is one of those sins that can really mess with our witness as elect exiles. If you get a poor grade in class because of laziness, or you get fired from a job because of laziness, that is not the sort of suffering that First Peter says we ought to rejoice at. In fact, we'll see in just a few days over the next few chapters, he specifically says that you ought not to rejoice at the suffering brought on by your own sin. And that's why I'm sure that most of you who have come to this workshop, not because you yourself wrestle with laziness, but because you have a friend who wrestles with it, and you want to be a really good friend, and I honor you for being such a good friend to help them work on this issue. I'm going to introduce the topic of laziness here. Becky's going to come up and develop it for us as we look at how God's world works. We want you to know together that the sin of laziness can be overcome. The grace of God has appeared in that Jesus Christ died for the lazy and he no longer holds their sin against them. And in fact, he extends to them a greater grace to transform them into his likeness. So the good news for you today is that there's a lot of wisdom in God's word that he has given you out of his mercy to help you help your friend honor God more effectively in this area of life. We don't have to go on living like slugs forever. Jesus wants to turn slugs 
into ants laboring and living in his own colony. The critical thing is that we have to be willing to take a close look. So would you take a close look with me? We're going to look at four things in this workshop. You can see in your outline on page 51, we're going to look at the ant first, and then we're going to look at God's world. And the outline goes on the next page. We're going to look at Jesus and then look at our lives. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive in. Father, thanks so much for this time. Lord, please open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your word. Please help us to honor you. Help us to love you as elect exiles and help us to walk with you that others may see our good works and give glory to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First, we're going to look at the ant. This is in Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11 at the top of page 50. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So here this poem addresses the sluggard in verse 6. Sluggard is an old-fashioned English word for lazy bones or couch potato. Or as we will refer to it in this workshop, the slug. Sometimes we call it senioritis. This person loves to have fun. The slug is usually behind on something, but almost always runs out of time. The slug is often incredibly busy because they're doing all the wrong priorities. This person doesn't know how to produce stuff, but they know how to get the stuff they need from others who will produce it for them. Whether those others be their parents or their uh, classmates who let them copy their homework or their church or a welfare office. And I'm not saying that everyone who receives stuff from their parents or from classmates or from their church or a welfare office is lazy. I'm not saying that everyone who does that is lazy. I'm just acknowledging that there really are some people, not only in ancient Israel, but still with us today, who will make use of readily available resources to enable their proclivity toward laziness. So let me draw two lessons from looking at the ant, and then I will propose two solutions to the sin of laziness. First, two lessons. Verse 6, the poet tells us to look at the world, to go to the ant, to consider her ways, and let's learn two things. First is in verse 7, that the ant is self-motivated. You see that the ant has no chief, officer, or ruler. The ant doesn't need her professor to remind her of deadlines. The ant doesn't need her mom to nag her about taking out the trash. The ant doesn't have drill sergeants getting in her faces all the time. And I'm not prejudiced against women saying her, her, her. It's just because ant is a feminine noun in in 
in Hebrew. So the ant is she, but this applies just as much to men. The ant doesn't, uh, the ant does what needs to be done when it needs to be done. The ant is self-motivated. Second, the ant is seasonally productive. This is the second lesson in verse 8. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest, which would be the fall. You see, the ant knows when is the season to work, and the ant knows what kind of work needs to be done in which season. When do we plant and prepare? When do we harvest? And the ant therefore also knows when is the season to rest or to play or to enjoy the fruit of the labor. The ant knows what should be done today and what really can be put off till tomorrow. The ant doesn't wait until the first signs of winter to start stocking the shelves. And the ant doesn't wait until the night before the exam to start studying. So the ant is self-motivated and is seasonally productive, produces the right things in the right seasons. What does this mean for us? This means that you might be the slug or your friend might be the slug, if you miss classes due to oversleeping. Or if you are more caught up on your Instagram news feed than on your homework. Or if your mom does your laundry for you at home. Or if you regularly don't do things you say you'll do. Or if you need structure in order to work fruitfully and you expect other people to provide that structure for you. If you stay up all night studying for exams or completing papers, if you regularly wonder how your day went by so quickly, if you don't even know what you did for a block of time, or if you feel like your parents or your roommates or your professors or your advisor nag you too much, or if your phone's weekly screen time is greater than the amount of time you spend in class. Now, no one of these things that I just listed necessarily means you are a slug, but a pattern of these things ought to get your attention. And I would encourage you to ask others if they think you might fit the bill of the slug here, because verse 11 tells us that it's not worth it. If you rely on others to tell you what to do, they will stop trusting you. And poverty, verse 11, and lack of resources, and I'll add busyness and stress, these things will ambush you. They will sneak up behind you like a thug with a gun and perpetually hold you captive. Becky will say more about these things in a moment, about how the world works, how God made it to work, to Uh, so, so that this is what happens. But I want you to know that Jesus died for slugs. He did. Jesus worked hard to do God's will. In John 5, 17, he said, my father is working until now and I am working. This was in the midst of a a controversy on the Sabbath, the Jewish day of rest, and Jesus is talking about his ministry, the mission that the Father gave him to do. Jesus was working. He did everything God wanted him to do, and then he died to bring you back to God so there's always hope to change. Now, how do we get there? What is our hope to change? There are two solutions here in Proverbs 6. 
that the Lord gives us in his grace. Solution number one is to ask yourself some hard questions. This comes from verse 9. He asks, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? And when he asks how long and when, I think these rhetorical questions are clearly not looking for a length of time as the answer. How long will you lie there? Oh, I think another hour or two. No, he's not looking for a length of time. He's looking for a confession of motivation. He wants to know, why are you lying there? Why are you not motivated to work hard? What do you get out of your distractions that cause you to keep lying there? And is it working for you? Are you really getting what you thought you would get out of this? Is it making you happier, more dependable, and truly at ease? So please ask yourself some hard questions. Why am I making these choices? What do I get out of them? And is it working? Solution number two is to begin with small choices in verse 10. He says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will rob you. He understands that nobody chooses to ruin their life in a single day. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, what choices can I make today to just waste the entire day and wreck my life as a result? Nobody does that. We make small choices. We make little choices as we go. In the same way that that nobody chooses to marry someone because of their high divorce potential. And nobody chooses to start a business because they believe there's no market for this idea, so I might as well start a business and wreck my life over it. No, it's the little choices that we make, not the huge ruin-my-life kind of choices. And so that's why a few minutes surfing YouTube turns into a few hours. And a quick check of Instagram ends up making the whole afternoon go by. And he encourages us to cut it out before it begins. And we are, we are creatures. We are not gods. We cannot, I'm not saying that we can or should try to work every moment of every day. We need breaks. We need rest. But there's a difference between taking a break and you know, losing a whole day because you weren't paying attention to how long your break, your break was getting, right? And so I would encourage you to set work hours for yourself, even as a student, and then work during those hours and schedule your breaks. And sure, take some time to do something different, to do something fun. Reward yourself for a job well done with some free time doing something else, but put a timer on it and get back to work when it's time to get back to time, back to work. So we've zeroed in to take a close look at the ant. Becky's going to come up now to help us take a broader look at God's world and how it works. So we've seen how Proverbs 6 describes this ant and slug. But what do the rest of the Proverbs broadly talk about laziness and diligence? Especially, what do we learn about laziness and diligence when it comes to God's design for our world? I would like to boil down... God's design for our diligence and laziness, noted in your outline, in two points, points A and B. How God made the world to work, 
and how we try to get around the world God made. Look with me at your first point. Whether we like it or not, God's word in the Proverbs talks a lot about our work. We see two patterns in scripture on laziness. The first one, provision comes through hard work, and laziness has unfortunate consequences. Read with me uh, Proverbs 10, 3 through 5 in your outlines. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but thwarts the cravings of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in the summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in the harvest is a son who brings shame. Here we see God does not let the righteous go hungry, but thwarts the cravings of the wicked. We see that the one who gathers in the summer, even out of season, is a prudent, hardworking ant. God seems to care about the provision for righteous hard workers. Proverbs 12:11 reads, "Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense." Here we see that those who have plenty of food are the ones who work the land. Again, read with me at Proverbs 12:27. "Whoever is slothful will not roast his game." but the diligent man will get precious wealth. Here we see that the one who gets precious wealth is a diligent man. God seems to reward food and wealth to those who are hard workers. Righteousness, prudence, diligence, they all seem to be synonymous with those in the Proverbs who choose to fear the Lord. It seems clear from these Proverbs that there are positive outcomes for those who work diligently. The main thing I want to try to show you guys is this. God is delighted to use hard work as one of his primary means for providing for his people. How does this apply? How can you make small choices of hard work that can lead to God's provision for you? Maybe it starts with acknowledging how much God blesses and provides for diligence. Maybe we can choose to work even out of season. And maybe we can choose to work honestly and wholeheartedly for the glory of the Lord. Now, what about this other side of the coin? What do these Proverbs say about slugs in contrast? Well, laziness has unfortunate consequences. Look back with me at Proverbs 10, 3 through 5. We see that God prevents the cravings of the wicked. This could mean that God does not allow the desires of the wicked to come true. We see that a a slack hand causes poverty and shame during the harvest. This could mean that those who loosely or half-heartedly work, they could gain nothing for their toil. And shame is the impacting result on the one that falls asleep during the busiest work time. Read with me Proverbs 12.11 again. We see that the one who pursues worthless things lacks wisdom. In context, worthless pursuits could mean types of lazy ways that people try to make money, uh, potentially gambling, for example. Their foolish choices may just lead them into poverty, which is what they're trying to avoid. 
Proverbs 12, 27, we see that the slothful will not be able to roast their meats after they hunt for it. Now, this can mean that the lazy won't be able to fully provide themselves a meal if they can only hunt and catch their game, but not actually cook it to eat. It's clear from these Proverbs that there are negative outcomes for those who willingly choose laziness over hard work. Wickedness, slack-handedness, slothfulness, sluggardness, foolishness, they all seem to be synonymous with those who choose not to fear the Lord. We said that God's primary means for providing for those who fear him is through hard work. But these Proverbs here on laziness and diligence, they're not equations. They're not guaranteed on earth but are potential wise outcomes for those who choose to fear the Lord. We can all probably think of a diligent aunt who wasn't rewarded quickly or even at all on this earth. Maybe a failed business owner or a Job from the Bible. We can also all probably think of a lazy slug who was rewarded on earth. Maybe a rich guy who inherited his family's estate Or maybe that one person in your class that always seems to get an A when they put in zero work for the test. Why does God's world feel so unpredictable? The truth I want to share with you guys is this. God is the author and director of the consequences of both ants and slugs. God is God and we are not. And he has the power to govern ants and slugs. God's Proverbs on work call the believer to obedience and diligent faith. The outcomes for the diligent or the lazy, they're not guaranteed on earth, but will be made right in eternity. God's call for his people to diligence results in spiritual covenant blessings, not necessarily earthly material ones. Another point I want to make for you guys is this. You can't fool God by trying to avoid his governance of the world. (laughs) In God's world, provision comes through hard work and laziness has unfortunate consequences. God sees your worth, ethic, or lack thereof. He's not surprised by it. He does see everything and has authority over it. Imagine this. This summer, you work at a local store part-time, and every time you arrive for your shift, you falsely clock in an hour early, and then you sit down and wait to work until your, actually, your real shift starts. You do a similar thing for your lunch break. Instead of clocking out for break, you just stay clocked in. Hey, it's easier to get the work, the money for the work that you didn't have to put the hours in for. Am I right? You would be foolish, though, to think that eventually the store owner wouldn't see your lazy swindles as dishonest pay. After all, this is the owner's store. He is capable of seeing everything and has authority over it all. In the same way, we can't avoid or fool the Lord's governance over our work. How does this apply? We ask the hard questions like Peter said. How are you tempted to try to fool God in your work? Maybe we lack the ability to see the consequences of our own laziness. 
Maybe it's through pursuing worthless things that promise to reward our laziness. Maybe it's through half-hearted worth ethic and lack of preparations for seasons of work. How can we live as though God is the author and director of the consequences of our work? So God made the world to work such that provision comes through hard work and laziness leads to poverty. But we don't like that very much, do we? We often try to find all different types of ways to get around God's design for our world. This takes us to point B on our outline, how we try to get around the world God made. I want to boil this down for you guys in two different ways that we try to bypass God's world. We desire harder, and we make excuses. Look with me now at Proverbs 13, verse 4 in your packets. It reads, The soul of a sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. We see this contrast here between these diligent ants, who are well supplied, while these slugs crave and crave more, but get nothing. The slugs simply try to crave harder, but have nothing to show for their lazy wishes. Proverbs 21, 25 through 26. It reads, the sluggard, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All the day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and doesn't hold back. We see here that the diligent are allowed, are allowed to be righteous and generous with their funds that they've earned, while the slug's desire and lack of work eventually kills him. The lazy once again try to desire harder instead of working, and they receive nothing for themselves or others. We could assume here that laziness not only leads to desiring it away, but also could potentially tempt them to greed or envy what they don't have. Imagine this. You have a 10-page report you have due tonight at midnight. I know you guys all just finished finals and you don't want to think about papers, but entertain this for a second. (laughs) Um, All day long, you sit around and simply wish that the paper would write itself for you. You falsely believe that simply desiring the paper will be done would mean that the paper would do the work of writing itself for you. Now, this seems ridiculous because we know our laziness isn't fixed by desiring but sometimes we act like our wishing does. The point I want to show you guys is this. Your desires have no power to give you what you want. It's not enough to want something. The wise will actually do something. God's primary means for providing for those who fear him is through hard work. So desiring won't do the trick. Can we remember a time when we tried to cure our laziness by desiring it away? What did desiring instead of working lead to? I want to move to our last point of ways we try to get around God's world. We make excuses. This one is really hard. (laughs) Uh, Look with me at Proverbs 19, verse 15. Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep. An idle person will suffer hunger. Here, the lazy person's excuse from not working is that they're too tired. Their laziness grows and grows until they're in poverty. Friends, 
How many times have you made the excuse that you're too tired to put in the work? Proverbs 24.10, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Here, the lazy person's excuse from work could be, I'm too tired, I'll never get it done. And the result of their excuse is giving up, fainting, and being anxious about all the stress. And this last proverb we're going to read is kind of a funny one. Proverbs 26, 13 through 16. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. These couple verses display plenty of excuses the lazy person has for not working. The remote threat of danger literally has this man making excuses. The lazy person here is more afraid of their circumstance as they scream in fear over this lion than the fear of the Lord in diligent work. The lazy person's excuse from work once again is his tiredness as he flops around just one more time in his bed and works up a sweat, burying his hand in a food dish. The lazy slug's excuse for not working not only makes his folly look ridiculous, even when he thinks he's wise. The point I want to make for you guys is this. Your excuses do not excuse you from the work that God has called you to. It's not enough to make excuses but the wise are called to diligence and in fear of the Lord despite them. What excuses are you tempted to make instead of work? Maybe for you, your tiredness weighs you down when you need to work. Maybe you instead struggle with the fear of failure. It seems easier not to try at all than to try and fail. Friends, I don't want to trivialize your laziness and pretend that it's only a behavior you need to modify. When in reality, laziness is a real heart issue. Ask yourself and the Lord, God, why do I make these excuses instead of working? What is the lie I am believing about myself in my work instead of being faithful in my fear of you? I'm going to invite Peter up to help us look at Jesus. It's not easy to take a hard look at the ant or at God's world. The excuses we make and the desires we have are brought to the light, and it, it leaves me feeling exposed and ashamed. Uh, even as I've been wrestling through this, teaching this workshop, uh, wrestling with how often I make choices to get distracted by games on my phone when I should be working. And, and doing other things. And so we must be sure to take another good look at Jesus. And so I want to remind you once again that Jesus died for sluggards. Jesus doesn't kick you and yell at you to get up and make something of your life. He's already made himself low. He's gotten himself kicked and mocked for not making more of his life. He did that so he could take fools like me 
and you and use us to shame those who think they are wise and strong. Jesus turns slugs into ants. Look at Matthew 9, verses 37 and 38. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You see, what what Jesus tells us is our greatest need is not for more souls to be harvested, to be brought into his kingdom. The greatest need is for more laborers, for more diligent workers in this harvest that he has set us to. And by the labors of such tiny little ant men and ant women like us, Jesus is building a kingdom that cannot be shaken and will never be destroyed. So how can you be a part of that kingdom construction even this summer as you look at Jesus and you are moved to honor him for his kingdom? Becky's going to come up and explain some ways you can now take a closer look at your life in small groups to prepare for the temptations you'll face this summer. So we're going to look at your life. We want to spend our last bit of time with you guys discussing in small groups these hard questions about laziness. We're going to ask you to turn to three to five people around you and just discuss these three questions that are in your packets. I'm going to read them now. First question, what are the excuses I tend to make when being a slug? Be sure to be as specific as possible here. The second question, what are the hard questions I need to ask myself? I also, again, want to encourage you to be as specific as possible here. And the third question, what are some small choices I can make this summer to be more like Jesus and the ant? And especially here, we just really want to encourage you to be as specific as possible for this upcoming summer. Uh, You guys can discuss in small groups, and in about 10 minutes from now, we're going to call you back and pray for our time. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you uh, for just clear instructions for both ants and slugs in your word. Uh, God, thank you. that your son obediently worked uh, for your will, um, that we have his example, and and we have the spirit uh, that helps us work diligently uh, despite our laziness. God, thanks for the grace that you give us in the midst of our laziness, in the midst of our antness. Um, And God, I pray um, that you just remind us of of your son. Um, God, I ask that you be with us the rest of our day, uh, that you give us the rest that we need. and the energy to do so. We ask and pray all these things in your heavenly name.